Give men the truth. Feed them truth and life in the context of loving relationship. It's making disciples. If I could boil what your life in Christ, what you're called to do, it's this right here. Love God's people, make disciples. Anyone who is parched spiritually, realizing there's something else, realizing you need forgiveness, you need grace. Strike the rock, God told Moses, and water will flow and the people will drink. Strike the rock of ages, says John, and water will flow and sinful mankind will be satisfied. Amen. Welcome in to Gospel Driven, Making Disciples in the Modern World. Really excited, joined by my good friend, Kenan Vaughn, Senior Pastor of Harvest Church, President of Downline Ministries, and I am Jamie Trussell. I get to serve as an elder and pastor here at Harvest Church. And Kenan, this is our first ever episode on Gospel Driven. Yeah, praise God. And, uh, and here's to... Um our hope and prayer that this will be something the Lord uses to encourage the souls of our fellow brethren and to stir their affections for Christ and the gospel and to equip them to be more faithful in disciple-making in the modern world. Right, so so those two components. One, please remember what we're trying to do is, as much as we can, be helpful at the ground level, at, at the, pragmatically as we are trying to build into others to shape disciples of Jesus Christ, but to intersect that with things that are actually happening, right? So in the modern world, and can I thought we could just ease in no lightning rod issues early on and talk about some perspective on the Equality Act, which undoubtedly, undoubtedly our people here at Harvest, I'm sure it's on their mind. It's on the mind of many people all over the place. And I just want to start by saying it is not the goal we we have zero desire to try to disciple someone into becoming a Republican. That is not what we're after. But this is a very unique piece of legislation that attacks the heart of so many things that are biblically foundational. That's why it comes to our attention, not because we're angling for a certain political view, but we are trying to angle for biblical fidelity for Christians, no matter uh, which side of the political aisle. They would find themselves persuaded by. And so I would just begin, I think, Kenan, by saying, uh, as it relates to this legislation before we kind of take a little bit higher to the to the Trinity, because I really think it starts to try to unravel all those things. What I would say, I think it's poorly named. I don't think it's going to create equality. I think it's going to create further chasms, further division, further hatred. It's going to push people further and further and further to margins. And then the language that it wants to prevent discrimination, well, let's both you and I from early on, we're not pro-discriminating against anyone. We're not pro-being hateful. We're not pro-attacking. We're not pro any of those things. But the language there assumes that if we hold what we believe to be true and right and loving, that we are being discriminating. I just don't think you can escape that reality. Yeah, that's what's so tough with this issue and so many issues like it in the modern world is that uh, the Christian has got to stand on the Word of God, period. And you're right. This is not a Republican-Democrat issue, or this this bill happens to be passed by Democrats in the House at present. But, but for us, we're talking about how does a Christian view this bill from a biblical worldview, not through a political lens. And yet, there, <laughs> Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will be persecuted. So yeah, we need to say, what does the Bible say about this, period, that defines, that interprets how we see uh, an issue, how we see a bill, uh, how we think about these things. And then the chips have to fall where they may. If it's something that we're going to be misunderstood 
labeled intolerant or, uh, or, 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 or our view labeled as hate speech, that's something we want to gently and lovingly uh, protest and in the name of the gospel. Say, no, 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 we believe the Word of God. And the Word of God says this, we'll stand by that, and, and the labels will come. And the Christian has to be okay with, uh, with being falsely accused, with being misunderstood, because we follow Jesus. And if anything, that was what was true of him. Yeah, and you mentioned a couple words there, gentle, loving, respectful. Here's a reality, and Jesus even teaches about this uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, about Peter and paying the temple tax. And Jesus is like, of course I don't have to pay the temple tax, but in order to not give unnecessary offense, I will pay the temple tax. We don't have to be unnecessarily offensive. We don't have to demean, dog, belittle people that struggle with gender dysphoria, transgender people, uh, same-sex attraction people. We don't have to be intentionally volatile with our speech towards any of those things. The simple reality that we say, thus saith the Lord, is, as Paul would say and to the church at Corinth, is going to be the stench of death. Yeah, and, and yeah, to those who are dying, and the aroma of life to those who are being saved. And at the end of the day, the Word of God is at its core true and loving and good. So at the end of the day, I think the most loving thing we can do is to tell those who know the Word of God, those who don't know it, those who have accepted it, those who have rejected it, we can still speak the truth in love. And so one thing I've noticed in areas, especially as it relates to gender and sexuality, so Kim, we've known each other for a long time. I previously served on the staff of Downline Ministries with you, oh goodness, I think from about 09 to, to 13 and have been fortunate enough to teach in the Institute every year since and interact with the emerging leader classes every year mm-hmm. since. And here's something I've noticed is almost it felt like overnight there began, began to be a massive shift in how these younger, uh, gifted, young Christian leaders were viewing sexuality and gender. I remember teaching one class on it. Uh, this is when I was pastoring in Austin. So this was a while back, probably six years ago. And for the first time in ever teaching on any of this stuff, I was met with hostility from a couple of students in the Institute, which I was not judgmental towards them, harsh with them or anything like that. But the reality is this is creeping in more and more and more and more and more. And so what, what's the big deal? And that's what a lot of the younger generation would say. Hey, why, why do we have to, can't we just live and let live? What's the big deal here? You know, is the Bible a little archaic on these things? Well, the Bible specifically, you can find verses that speak against uh, our modern view of gender, our modern view of sexuality, uh, easily. But it goes beyond that. It is rooted in the character and the expression of God himself. And so we really take this all the way back and begin with the Trinity. Why is, let's say, gender a big deal? Why as Christians do I say, no, a man is a man and a woman is a woman? Well, God made male and female, Genesis chapter 1. He says, in his, their plurality, let us make them, male and female, in our image. There is something intrinsic about male and female as God made them, as God ordained them, that needs to be in operation for the world to get a view of the Trinity. Now, why do I say that? The Trinity, three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Spirit are all equally God. Equal in essence, they differ in function. That diversity in the personhood of God is then put on display in the diversity of humanity, male, female, 
equal in essence, differing in function. And if we can just be fluid and slide all over the place and say man's not a man and woman's not a woman, for the Christian, we need to know this isn't just a debate about, well, did Jesus really say that? It's about the it's about the created nature of humanity as tied to the image of God that he wants to put on display. Yeah, that's right. And uh, just to underscore one thing you said at the beginning, this has always been kind of a home court issue uh, uh, for, for American Christians. For, for so many years, you talk about these things and you were so-called preaching to the choir. Um, it point. was it was exceptional to what common thought of our day was to uh, to not accept what the Bible says when it comes to gender, sexuality, and marriage. But just in the last twenty years, just in my adulthood, I've watched it become a an away game. I've watched in the culture's eyes now. If you want to stand on what God plainly says is true, and honestly, what can plainly be seen That's right. and understood, then now it is considered what's rejected. It's not only rejected; it's considered intolerant. It's not only considered intolerant; it's now considered hate speech and even a violation of of civil rights. And so we are really in a transition period. And uh, and as Christians, we've got to be. Uh, wise as serpents, innocent as does. We have to be willing to be courageous, stand on God's Word. Uh, Romans 1 says that men will suppress truth, and I've always kind of wondered what that looked like, and now I look around and I see it. The fact that um, God chooses uh, the gender of a babe. God forms that babe in its mother's womb. That's what the Word of God tells us. That's right, fearfully and wonderfully. Fearfully and wonderfully. God's not guessing. and it's, uh, it's not up to us to see a child formed by Creator God in His image as male or female, and to A, not declare what's good and loving that God has done, and B, leave it up to a child to make a, an assertion of, of his gender uh, before he even understands what gender is. And, and so... To me, that which was once considered flagrant and and obviously um, uh, misleading according to the truth is now considered a a right that we're to adhere to, understand, protect. And as Christians, we object, and uh, and we object on the basis of the Word of God. Yeah, and and off of objection on the basis of the Word of God, look, we really have to decide as Christians: is the Bible an accumulation of pretty good opinions that? were serviceable during the time they were written, or is the Bible this amalgamation of 1,400 years, 40 different authors led by the Holy Spirit, breathing out God's Word onto the human authors that they would record exactly what God would have us read? And if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He is the ultimate Word of God, the Logos incarnate, do we not believe the Bible is always particularly relevant and life-giving in any age and era. The the Jesus transcends culture. God transcends culture. Thus, his word also by necessity would transcend culture. You know, Ken, I had a really hard conversation with a mutual friend of ours. This is probably a month or two ago. A guy I've even done ministry with in the past. And we were talking about something else, a different theological issue. And I quoted something from the book of Hebrews that Look, nail in the coffin, you could not argue with the case that I made. Direct quote from Scripture about what we were talking about. And his response was, well, that's the perspective of the author of Hebrews. So if we're Christians, either 
The Bible is an accumulation of people's opinions. And if that's the case, of course you can disagree with it. Say whatever you want to about gender. But if it's God's word, if you hold to that, that has to mean something. Mm -hmm. That's right. The, the, The issue really underneath the issue as we talk about gender, sexuality, and marriage, what we're appealing to is a standard of truth. And our standard of truth is God's word. And so really the undergirding issue is uh, what is your standard for truth? Is it the cultural tide of opinion? Is it what makes sense in our day and in our culture? Is it what human wisdom establishes uh, is relevant? Or is it uh, what we believe as Christians is uh, divinely uh, inspired, um, is inerrant without error, is sufficient for our need? Uh, and is eternal. It's the living and eternal and abiding Word of God. And so you're right, Jamie, do we really trust God's Word? Because if we do, then we've got a standard and we've got a starting place. In Genesis 1 and 2, um, really the foundations of, of uh, uh, and the foundations of our understanding of where um, uh, this world began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and right out of the gate, through the creation narrative, we see God establishing, we've already said, He establishes uh, gender, sexuality. He establishes there will be male and there will be female. That's right. And it's not a guessing game, and it's not up to man to determine what He is. God, Psalm 139, determines the gender of a child, and He purposes that child and that child's gender nobly uh, for his glory. And then he also, right out of the gate, defines, God creates marriage. He who created it gets to define it. That's right. And he defines it as one man and one woman. And so here I am as a Christian in the 21st century America, where it's been legislated and uh, that that uh, you know marriage can be a man and a woman, a man and a man, a woman and a woman, uh, um, uh, or even as we go further into identity, you know that whatever one identifies as with another who identifies as whatever they want, and so now we get something that is foreign to scripture. That um, and therefore is anti scripture. Yep. Uh, it's it's against God. It uh, it takes that which is true and suppresses it. And and if you carry out Romans one where it says men will do that, Romans one even goes so far as to say when men suppress truth, God will at some point in uh, in in it's, it ultimately his mercy will turn to judgment, which is a final act of mercy. Which he'll turn men over to themselves. And, and kind of say, okay, have it your way and see how that goes. And interestingly enough, I, I wasn't planning on using this as a proof text, but interestingly enough, in the context of Romans 1, when that is seen, when men are given over to themselves uh, out of a calloused, uh, consistent suppression of truth that God jud- judges a culture, what it says the, the fruit of that will look like, uh, really will be uh, men um, having sexual relations with men, women having sexual relations with women. It's a perversity that grows out of a callousness towards the truth that God has given us in who we are created in His image, um, purposed with an identity as a man or as a woman. And when it's outside the the bounds of God's loving and created order, it wreaks havoc and chaos on a culture. It does, and we don't want to miss, especially on those who are actually doing the practicing. And that's one thing. It's the appeal of Christian love. You know, the cultural narrative presents, especially with this whole, you know, pervasive oppressor and oppressed, uh, a line that's sewn through everything uh, via critical theory, which I'm not saying throughout all of it. I think some of it could be 
helpful potentially, but uh, in that you have this picture of God. And if God in any way, shape or form were to call you against your own impulse, your own desire, your own wishes, he's immediately an oppressor. And so why should you worship such an oppressive God? If you feel like X, but God commands Y, then he, then you're being oppressed. You can't worship a deity that's oppressing you. And this is where if Christians meet this with vitriol and hate, I feel like it only marginalizes people even more. We can meet it with loving truth because we actually want what's best yeah. for someone who, who disagrees yeah. with us. That's the uniquely, I think, Christian thing is we want – the common good for human flourishing. Yep. I'll just, I'll just maybe illustrate that or make that very uh, tangible, hopefully, for our listeners, especially those that are parents. For me as a dad, having five sons, uh, it helps me to understand this dynamic in the sense that all of the time I have created standards or rules in our home that are for the boys' good long before they know what's good. I give them rules to follow. I tell them what's true. Uh, they've got to be obedient to a standard, not because I'm lording my authority over them or want to oppress them or, you know, I'm an egomaniac. If, if we're honest, I love those boys more than words could ever express, and I know what's best for them. And so I put things in place to protect them and to allow them to experience flourishing, healthy fruit of an obedient life and not the dangers of disobedience that could literally physically, emotionally, and spiritually harm them. Now, they may or may not understand that. They push back. Sometimes they say, that's not what I want to do, or, or that's not, not what fair. I think. Yeah, they want not fair. That's uh, They'll want to reason with me or simply disobey. But the truth is, it's for their own good. Now, I'm not a perfect father. I'm a flawed father. As they get older, I've now got teenager or one teenager. And, uh, and that teenager, he really wants to understand the whys, and that's fair. And he really wants to reason with me. And you know what? Sometimes he makes some pretty good points. Sometimes I've kind of got to look at uh, the rules that I've got and reevaluate. But see, we're not dealing with a flawed father. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with God. Again, if there is indeed an almighty and sovereign God, one God we see in three persons revealed in Scripture and in the human experience, we don't have to worry about reasoning with God or you know, we, what we don't like or what we don't think is fair, like a child that doesn't understand. When we have flawed fathers, it's easy to go, you know what, I think Dad's missing it on this one, and he might be, but our Heavenly Father's not. And so what He prescribes is good and loving, and for our own spiritual, emotional, physical, psychological, physiological welfare— and that's why we get to stand on a truth that is loving for people who even may view it as oppression. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, just just practically, if you're engaged in disciple making, especially someone of a younger generation, and look, I'm still young considered. I'll be thirty-eight later this month. So I'm not trying to put myself in some old wise category, but but younger than me, a generation behind me is has a totally different approach to the world. It's fascinating how much it's shifted. But I would not assume, especially that a younger Christian maybe has the same view of the Bible as you do. And in the past, I think I would have assumed that or could have assumed that. And sometimes instead of launching directly into God's Word, you may start with someone and just saying, hey, what is your perspective on God's Word? Just what is the Bible? How did we get it? What's your understanding of it? And 
Because if you're not on the same page there, you may go a couple months and then something comes up and like having to be in a deadline class years ago when I'm teaching first Corinthians six and I make a statement that says sexual immorality seems to carry with it its own unique nature of consequence because it's a unique type of sin. And, and a sweet young girl puts her hands up angrily and says, says who? And I was kind of shocked because I'm going, says the verse I just read. That's what I wanted to say. It was pretty clear. It was right there. But there was a disconnect in how we viewed the Bible. And I was I was shocked by that. I was probably a little bit naive or assumed too much. And so as we're thinking about this, is starting with just, hey, what is the Bible? How do we view it? Not what's actually in it, but just in and of itself, what is it? Mm-hmm. And several things that I'm tempted to respond to in there, but just think you and I, Jamie, have had the privilege of working with the next generation's leaders, especially through Downline and the young adults at our church, which is a, a prevalent uh, you know, uh, makeup of our church. And yes, the cultural messaging that they are being inundated with through social media, through the TV shows that they watch, through you know the the bloggers and podcasts and uh, just every outlet media outlet that is pouring into them is a secular humanistic anti-biblical worldview and at some point if that's if that's what is presented to you if you're constantly flooded with that which is what the itching ears of man in any given culture want to hear at some point the bible can become uh, marginalized in your opinion, it's it, like you started the podcast saying it can become this antiquated, you know, outdated document. And we, we and, and and now all of a sudden, here we are, as Ephesians four says, tossed by the winds and the waves, not having any plumb line of truth, not having any firm foundation to stand on, because the the ideas and the brilliance of man's thinking in one culture after another continues to ascend to nowhere until the point of implosion. We're not the first culture that has become uh, a culture that not only tolerates, but celebrates the depths of sexual immorality. We're not the first. Uh, you know, the Babylon and Assyria and Greek and Rome, all the empires before have done this. And yet that has been the source of their ultimate, not just the erosion of um of a truth or but really the implosion of their empires uh, and and the detriment of human society at the end of those things. And so here we are at, at really a moment where America has postured itself and is sought to be and certainly in many people's minds. Uh, in one sense, let me use the let me use it out of context, but uh, wholly different other than, you know, even in the founding fathers' minds, at least, Arguably, um, there was a there was a goal to be different, to protect, um, uh, you know, a uh, a Judeo Christian worldview in the moral code that we assume and follow, and how we might be of light to others. And and again, lots of arguments, maybe another podcast for another day, on on all of those kind of premises. But for two hundred years, you know, America has. Um, been guided by a a at least somewhat biblical uh, moral compass. Uh, there's been a loose affiliation, at least, with uh, the uh, kind of the, the Bible to be our guide in what is right. And now we seem to be going the ways of so many cultures before us and countries before us, and saying, "Let's let what we think." is fair, right, and good, usurp what God has declared is fair, right, and good, and just. 
And therein lies the danger zone that we've now stepped into. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, America, I think that's a good that's a good topic for another podcast because you have this sort of biblical line that gets traced through it, and then you have these massive yeah. things like the genocide of Native Americans and slavery, and you go, guys, that, how, we got sure. a little, our wires got crossed on those in pretty significant ways. Yeah. And I don't want to idealize uh, those things or, or, or minimize this, the, the, the ways that America uh, as a country has, has been off the beaten path. So I appreciate you saying that. But, but in terms of a, uh, a general sense of even appealing to Certainly. a biblical worldview and, uh, and, and, and trying to interpret. And again, in every age of America, there's needed to be certain things that were challenged. Those things needed to be challenged. And uh, by God's grace, uh, they have been and, and are, are still being challenged to this day um, where there are uh, uh, where there is any fruit of racism. It's being challenged and, and we need to be on the uh, cutting edge of that as Christians fighting against racism because God's word fights against racism and on this cutting edge of sexual uh, immorality. We need mm-hmm. to be on the cutting edge of declaring what even is um, good, right, loving, noble, and true when it comes to sexuality. And so in this Equality Act, you know, it goes back 1964, Civil Rights Act, which we both would applaud and affirm and say that was probably too long coming, uh, certainly was too long coming, affirms what you shouldn't discriminate against people for, things we, I think, generally took for granted now, you know, race, color, uh, country of origin, uh, certainly gender. And with the Equality Act wants to go in and kind of redefine and expand some of those terms. So you take gender, and that then is now being expanded to uh, this f- this modern fluidity. It's kind of whatever gender you claim, not mm-hmm. your biological gender. Mm-hmm. It's the gender you claim. Uh, and and so in doing that, right as it expands, that for that Civil Rights Act that is completely in line with God's word. This rewrite is the perversion of what is a good law that is the reason why we jump in now. It's not because we don't support the original one. Of course we do. But this new one is twisting it, getting outside the bounds of Scripture. And look, you mentioned being a dad. I'm a dad, too. My kids aren't as old as as yours. I've only got three boys, though. you got five. got three. I do have a little girl. But I think about this and going, you know, man, I, I would like my little girl and her femininity protected. Mm-hmm. This is like the first time in my life I think I've found myself on the side of the feminist, mm-hmm. of going, yes, mm-hmm. let's protect women, uniquely women, as God has made them. And I remember living in Austin. Here's what, I, what I, I'm interested to see how this goes. Uh, I remember living in Austin. It was probably back in 2014, 2015, and in our neighborhood Starbucks. My wife and I lived in an awesome neighborhood. owner Starbucks. Went in one day, and both bathrooms, and they weren't the single stall Starbucks bathrooms, had been changed to gender neutral. Mm-hmm. And this is Austin Tech. I mean, this is mm-hmm. you know, heart of liberalism. And two weeks later, they were both changed back hmm. because even there, where I was by far by far a minority in thought and theology, people realized that it didn't work. They didn't want it. That it sounded good, and then grown men started walking in yeah. while you were taking your little daughter to the bathroom, and at that point, you didn't care about your political platform on social media. 
you cared about. There's something in me that says that man shouldn't be watching my little girl use the restroom. At the end of the day, that's where the Lord has put in us uh, the, the, the common grace to know what is good and right and noble and true. And he's declared it in his word. And yeah, we can get on a political platform and think we're supporting, uh, uh, a progressive movement in the area and uh, gender or sexuality. But when the practical outworkings of that are chaotic, destructive, and dangerous, all of a sudden you're going, Hey, where do I turn? Well, the refuge is God's word. And, and Damien, you said one of the things just with your daughter, and I can appreciate we are to, we're to protect uh, our children. We're to protect their masculinity, their femininity, to help them understand that God has fearfully and wonderfully made them in His image, male and female. That's a discipleship issue. Politically, sure, we want to make our voice heard. Uh, we want to touch base with our senators at this present time and in a way of encouraging them to hold to a, a biblical worldview for the health of a nation. But no matter what our culture is doing, is the people of God. We advocate for what is true because we love our neighbor. Uh, mm. But is within the church, we must declare what is true and live by it and train our children. Is a, Don't let, in other words, what I'm saying is don't say, well, well, our, our nation's gone this way or uh, and, and let your sons or your daughters be discipled by their social media outlets. Because um, they and, absolutely will be. Yeah. Oh, man, 100% they will be. So these have to be intentional conversations that we are having with our children, with our peers. We've got to be engaging on this. We can't just sit on the sidelines. No, and that word engagement is is spot on. And this is where, again, making disciples in the modern world, it's we always, of course, go to the text, but there are things we have to form in people now that we didn't have to. You mentioned kind of there used to be a home game. And now, and Shannon, I remember somebody asked Ray, a guy named Ray Orland. Some of our listeners may be familiar with Ray and his wife, Janie Orland, in Nashville. Somebody asked Ray and Janie, I think at a downline summit as a panel I, I attended. Uh, how do you, in the midst of all this cultural chaos as it surrounds gender and confusion and sexual confusion, uh, help to uh, form your kids amidst mm-hmm. this? And and Janie said something I'll never forget, and Shannon and I have started doing it in our house, is in ways we can, even as little as our kids are, you know, my oldest is six, is I repeatedly tell my boys, you're going to be a great husband one day. You're going to be a great dad one day. You're going to be, I use masculine pictures of what the Bible calls them to be. Kyle, you're going to be a great mom one day if the Lord gives you children. You'll be a great wife. You'll be like all of these beautiful things that only a woman can be. Doesn't mean they have to be, but only a woman can be those things. So that hopefully they grow up realizing that that is. God's made me male. God's made me female. And it's a good thing. And you mentioned formation. Look, here's the double talk hypocrisy of this cultural movement is people have literally said, I am being oppressive by doing that with my kids and creating this picture of what, but they're doing the exact same thing. They're casting what is masculine. They're just saying what's masculine is actually feminine. And so both sides are trying to form people yeah. into the picture of what they think a man and woman should be. And what's tragic about that in, in the way of that, what's oppressing a child is to, is to ask a child to make its own decision, to make his or her own decision about what gender he or she 
is. It, how sad to to not be able to affirm a child in the way he or she has been uh, created uh, and, and declared in the way of their gender as a male or female by God. What a great opportunity to point to um, uh, the beauty of uh, God's design mm. that has now been revealed to us in your being a, and of course, biology, that God's design and biology reveals male, female, and that now our job is to point that son, that daughter, that boy, that girl towards noble pathways. You know, I, you mentioned it. I do the same thing. I've got five sons. I've always wanted a girl, but I've got five sons and you know, I'm so deeply grateful for. And and so we're always talking about what is manhood? Because God has uh, made you guys in his image as males. And so we're always pointing even back to Genesis. There's a a woman to love and a work to do and a will to obey and and let's let's and, and the Bible says to act like men and Paul and Corinthians the exhortation. What do these things mean? Mm-hmm. I don't have to. Um, but boy, I'm so. It'll be tragic if I left it up to their own musings of how they felt based on what a culture is telling them to determine who they are and how they should live. That would be tragic, and I think it would be. Um, it would be really sad. If anything, I could think the word oppressive would be a, an appropriate word at that point. It, it, um, but to love them enough to help them step into their design, again, not not culture's call, not their own call. Praise God. No child wants to make that call. They want to be uh, loved and pointed towards what it looks like to be a godly man, a godly woman, based on the design and calling of God in their life. And that is our privilege, and that's our responsibility as Christians. Yeah, and this I realize it may be slightly reductionistic, but I've got an opportunity. Let's just take Kyle, my little girl. I've got an opportunity to look at her and either say, hey, this was kind of a mistake. You figure it out. Or I can say you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. Every inch of you. Mm-hmm. Perfectly constructed by the hand and fingertip of God. And I'd much rather affirm that, not just because it's true, but to me, what a more affirming, loving, inspiring sense of intimacy with a creator. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to, so just shift a little bit before we close down, Ken, and what I don't want to do is for anyone to ever accuse us of being insensitive towards a legitimate struggle with gender dysphoria. Sure. That's a real thing. And we would not mock that. I want to be sensitive to that. I've never walked with that experience of a struggle, but I know this, that God's grace is sufficient. I don't have to have walked in those shoes to know that God's grace is sufficient to walk alongside you if that's a legitimate struggle. And I know it's even wrong for me to call that a struggle now, but it is. That's what the Bible calls it. Yeah, it just I would just uh, highlight that. And again, your and I experienced in the last 20 years in ministry is walking along more and more young people that are wrestling with gender identity. And the wrestle started with them being inundated with cultural messaging that was anti-biblical and then being able to be beginning to question the truth about who God has created them to be, which is inherently sad. But you're right. If that's where they are, what what is our responsibility? It's it's not to stand in judgment over them. It's not to treat them, uh, you know, as, as black sheep or anything like that. What it is to do is love them and lovingly point them to the truth of God's word that they're that God did fearfully and wonderfully make them in His own image for His own purposes and help them to find uh, a joyful 
surrender to God's design as their greatest joy. Because because if they do that, they'll find intimacy with God in Christ. If they don't do that, there's always going to be a longing for that which they don't have. Even if they're thinking they're making strides in their uh, uh, sexual identity journey, if it's not in coherence with God's design, if it's not in fellowship with God, then they will be empty and longing. And so what we want to do is say, hey, the human heart was made and created to be satisfied in God and in obedience to Him. And it's just like my children. Uh, if they're if they're walking with me in a good relationship and, and an unbroken intimacy, they're far happier than if they simply get what they want. And so we want to help them see the greatest need and desire and uh, unfulfilled longing they have is intimacy with God, and that's found in submitting to and surrendering to His design for their lives. That's right. And so, as we make disciples, as we walk with people, this will be something that comes up. You'll have to walk with someone through this. Undoubtedly, you'll dig into their background, the story, and look. You don't want to minimize it. People have been abused. People have suffered. People have struggled. These are real. The pain is real. The struggles will. For a lot of people, the abuse in the past, whether it be sexual or physical, that has caused them to question and struggle, all of that's real. But we do jump in with the grace and mercy of God, because here's what we know. The resurrected power of Christ is enough. It is enough, and we believe that. And so you, it was great for you to say we don't, we don't stand in judgment as if somehow we're God's had to redeem and heal us from a lot of things ourselves. Absolutely. Uh, but, and I, I, I uh, close with this, Ken, before I give you the last word. I love what Andrew Walker, who works for the ERLC, says about this, and I completely affirm this statement. We believe all persons, including those who identify as LGBT, are made in God's image and deserve respect, kindness, and neighborliness. 100% affirm that and also affirm his closing line, but this does not necessitate Christian capitulation to the sexual revolution. And in First Peter, the book we're preaching through here at Harvest right now, at the end of the book, he says, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. And that's what I would say was stand firm. Yeah. The challenge for the Christian has always been and will always be truth and grace. We're not merely to be Pharisees who ascribe to a written law or a code of, of morality or truth and are graceless and because of our own sin, just look merely like hypocrites to the world. We're meant to be the most gracious, loving, compassionate people because we know what it is to battle our own flesh and our own sin and our own desires and our own lack of knowledge of what's good, loving, and true. To me, my refuge is I'm glad I don't have to figure it all out. God already has. I need Mm. to run to his word. I need to run to his arms. I need to run to Jesus in the gospel and allow that to define who I am and to help me know how to live and to help love other people that are on the same human journey I am, uh, battling their flesh, looking for truth, and wanting to ultimately find, find fulfillment in the only place it's found, and that's in the love of Jesus Christ. And so if some of you are listening and struggle with any of those things we've talked about, or wrestling, I just want to, there is a God that made you and loves you, that through his Son, made a pathway back to him by mercy and grace. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, it is intimacy and life everlasting with the Father, which will transcend any earthly life we could ever taste. Yeah, and uh, that's that's the gospel, and that's the truth. And, and we're people that are not merely truth, we're grace. And we're not merely grace, we're truth. And so our prayer for you, even as you hear this and try to put it into action in a delicate way, 
uh, time in a, in a culture full of divisiveness and, um, and, and really uh, judgment and hate and, and just a volatile time is that you would hold fast to the truth and you would be loving and gracious as you make disciples in the modern world around this issue of sexuality. Well, Ken, thanks for joining me on this first edition of Gospel Driven. Look forward to when we get together next. <music>